Good morning, family. It's so good to see all of you, as always. Um, always a tremendous blessing to be with people that you know love you. And uh, I pray that uh, all of you understand that and have that feeling and walk away knowing that this morning. Uh, that at some degree, uh, we don't have it all figured out. And so we're working through all this together, this journey that we're on. Uh, and uh, as you can see, we're pretty laid back around here, and that's kind of how we like it. And uh, we hope that that's uh, a comforting thing for you to, to know that no one is here projecting some idea of perfection uh, outside of uh, what Jesus has done in our life. And so uh, as, as I study and prepare these lessons, there are things that jump out to me that I am very excited to share with you and uh, certainly hope that uh, I don't muddy the waters any more than they already are for you as far as Scripture is concerned. But uh, we're going to start off in Romans 8 and make our way to Luke and John uh, for our time together as we do part two of the victory appearances of Jesus. And very rarely uh, are there things said in Scripture where there isn't some precedent before it that kind of backs it up. You know, God is the one who does, as I say from time to time, the heavy lifting. And so very rarely, if ever, does God requires something of us that he himself has not done in some shape, form, or fashion. And so it's never one of those things like, you have to do this and I'm unable. Obviously, we know that he's able. All things are possible through him. So we see it, Romans chapter 8 and verse 37. No, in all these things, we're more than conquerors uh, through, through him who loved us. Right. So he's the motor. He's the engine uh, behind all of these things, and, and we do a very minimal, I don't know if you could put a number on it, percentage on our end. Uh, he has done all of the heavy lifting for us, and how do we know verse 38 is true? Through Jesus Christ. We see Jesus defeat these things that he lists here. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, right? He's tempted to avoid death. He's tempted to keep his life. And so that's not going to separate us, right? Nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, uh, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The question comes in is are we wanting and have we made the decision to receive all of the benefits of that love? Right? Even the people... Uh, that God uh, will make the decision, or they made the decision to be away from Him for all of eternity. God still loves those people, and He wants them to be close. That's His desire, is to not just be in our presence, because He is. It's an awareness of how amazing and awesome in these things that He's done for us. And so He wants us to do that. And obviously, the enemy of God hates us and does not want that for us. He knows that He has given up his ability to have those uh, benefits, and so he knows that he's going to lose, and the only way to really get at God is through us, to drag us away, to have us choose uh, to be separated from God for eternity. He knows that's really the only avenue he has, because defeat is his name. He is defeated. He's going to lose. Uh, don't buy into this idea that he's in hell, and he's running the show, and he's got this pitchfork, and he's doing all this and that. Because hell has been set aside for him and all of his angels and all those who choose to be separated from God. I want to make sure we understand that 
Being more than conquerors is on the table. It was bought with one sacrifice, uh, thankfully, right, for uh, Ducky. He didn't come, and we weren't going to sacrifice him uh, back on Easter, right? He didn't have any worries of that, at least that day, because Jesus is the one and only sacrifice. He's the one who holds the keys to the kingdom. And instead of holding that over us, he has made it a way to where we can be conquerors with him. And so ultimately, the choice is ours. And so I want to go back. Last week, we kind of touched on the road to Emmaus and the confusion there. But I want to go back and unpack that a little bit. You know, from time to time, a preacher will spend a little too long on one point and not quite get all that he could out of the other. And so maybe you'll bear with me as we kind of backtrack a little bit. And we talk about Jesus' victory over confusion. So we go to Luke chapter 24 uh, to start this this morning, we go to Luke 24. We're going to be looking at 13 through 32. And so the resurrection has occurred, and we pick up here in our victory over confusion. And so that very day, two of them, that being two of his disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. So they're outside the city of Jerusalem where all of these events have occurred. Jesus has been crucified, he's been buried, he's been resurrected. And we know there are all kinds of things that happened when Jesus gave up the ghost. When he said it is finished, it is over, there were a ton of things that are recorded uh, that happened. You know, the, the dead rose and walked around and earthquakes and all these things that point to a major historical shift. And we as Christians believe this is the historical moment that shifted all of time and space in history. That at the right time, Jesus died for the ungodly. Before we ever did anything correct, we ever made the right choice, he paid the price that we could never pay. There's a debt there that we owe. And if we deny what Jesus has done, we still owe that debt. But it's on the table for our taking. It's the best deal anybody will ever offer you. All right, so we go to uh, verse 16. So there's two disciples walking down the road. Verse 15, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Right? There's a, like, these verses that we, we, we read all the time. But what a phrase. Jesus drew near them. Once again, who's meeting them where they are? Jesus. Right? Jesus meets us. Where we are, I mean, that in itself is probably an entire lesson on its own. We see this over and over in Scripture, right? Uh, go back to the Old Testament where we talk about this wrathful God. He goes and meets people where there are. Abraham, we talked about it this morning in, in a tremendous Bible class. Man, I, I hope that you're, you're taking advantage of those, right? I hope you are. Uh, you know, we didn't have our children's classes for it. It's definitely one of those things that you... That you don't necessarily take account of how awesome it is until it's not there. And then you're like, oh, we got to get, get to feeling better, Miss Rachel. We need you, okay? And, and so it's, it's a wonderful thing. And so Jesus drew near to them to do what? To, to erase confusion. That's what Jesus does all the way back. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but you go to the creation story. Right? There's no form. There's no void. It's chaos. And God shows up and says, this isn't good. We're going to fix this. We're going to bring order. We're going to remove this idea of confusion. Verse 16, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. You ever notice the power of an aha moment? 
you know, as a teacher, man, that just fuels it, right? And I said last night, I said, you know, every time we see somebody get this award, they go on, they're super smart, you know, and they go accomplish these great things. And, and my thought is, is, oh, man, I didn't mess that one up. All right. You know, I didn't do any, I didn't do any harm, right? That's the first goal. Don't do any harm. Uh, and then we can start doing the good. But to have an aha moment, there has to be what? There has to be a little confusion. But there also has to be a seeking. And so you think about that. And there's so many people that are confused and that they don't seek. They go, I'll never understand this. I'll never have a grasp of this. And it's over before it even starts. You have to think that Satan loves that. Yes, yes, yes. You'll never know. You'll never have a clue. Why bother? And I have students all the time, right, Tom? I, why bother? I'll never get this. And you've got to push them a little bit. You've got to draw near to them. You've got to somehow work a way where it becomes interesting to them. And all of a sudden, boom, there's this aha moment. And that person that you thought would never, ever get it. They didn't think they would get it. But we have to have those and we have to believe that Jesus will draw near to us. There's confusion over that. We go to verse 27. And what does he do to first of all begin the revealing? He starts with Scripture. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. Isn't it wonderful? You don't really need me. You don't need me to know Jesus. You don't really need anyone. I'm not saying that we shouldn't go to church. We we do. We need that relationship. We were built for that. But if you want to find the things of Jesus, it, it's right there. We have it everywhere we go, right? If you're like me, I've got several copies uh, all over the place, readily available, collecting dust. And I never opened, right? I've got my special one I've got, and I keep my notes in. But it's there. It's right there. And I think... You know, we, we think, oh man, how incredible would it be to be these disciples walking on the road? And, and if you ask them, maybe, how incredible would it be to have the Scriptures just right there readily available? As Jesus said, He goes to, so that we can have something greater. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 22, it says that Moses said that God would raise up a prophet among us like our brothers, and God will tell you all that you should do. We know later that he that Peter tells us yet again, right, that he's given us all things that pertain to life, eternal life, and godliness. In verse 30, what does Jesus do? Well, it's very similar to what we just did. When we when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, right? So we we have these instances over and over again where Jesus fellowships. I don't know about you, but if I'm thinking it's my strategy, I'm like, hey Jesus, you, you got more important things to be doing than eating a meal with me. Right? You're, you're raised from the dead. Don't you have other things that are a little more important than fellowshipping with me? And no. He breaks bread with these people. You know what he does? Our belief is that he's here with us when we break the bread. This is a do this in what? Remembrance of me. If you'll let me change it. Remembrance of who I am and what I have done and continue to do in you. It's important to remember. We claim Him what? 
when we remember the death, burial, and resurrection. We claim to the world. We gather on the first day of the week like these people, and we claim him. Because what? If we deny him before men, what will he, he will deny us before the Father. We claim him. We take the bread. We claim him when we study scripture. We claim him by how we live every day. Chapter 7 and verse 16. Let's look at, actually, let's look at verse 31 through 32 first here in this chapter. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Vanished from their sight. And so you see these steps. I'm not saying these are the steps that you take and the order that you have to take them in, but these are certainly parts of knowing who Jesus is. And they, they realize it. And we've all felt that, right? That, that burning, as they'll say later. That we, we felt this burning in us when he read the Scriptures. And there are days where we come together and it's like, man, we're on every song, every Scripture, everything we're doing. And sometimes we're disjointed. And then there's some days where we come in and we're disjointed and, and the Spirit says, I don't need you to be organized, right? <laughs> like, I'm going to hit it anyways, right? I'm the motor. I'm the engine. And so they see this happening. And he appears to them and he reveals this. In chapter 7 and, and verse 16, I did want to look at that in Luke chapter 7 and verse 16. What is Jesus doing? He heals the widow's son at Nain, right? He brings someone back from the dead to echo the fact that he holds the keys to life and death. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and who has visited his people? God has visited His people right where God wants to be. You ever thought about we get angst with each other, we get angry, we don't see eye to eye, and we disagree, and we come up with reasons why we should have nothing to do with everyone, and, and the very God who has all the receipts, all the evidence to have nothing to do with us, and the very thing He wants to be is with us. Think about that the next time we come up with excuses not to have to anything to do with each other. And think about what all God has done so that He could be with us. That's what He wants. That's where He wants to be. His desire is to be among His people and them be aware of His presence. Aware. Why? Because He's the keys to life and death. And he understands our oppression. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Who is the author of confusion? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 14, 33, that God is not the author of confusion. He does not want us to be confused. He wants us to look to him. So who is the author of confusion? I'm not saying the devil's everywhere. I don't think he has that power. We don't need a whole lot of help being confused, but he's certainly not helping us come out of that confusion. In Acts chapter 10, verse 38, Peter speaking to Cornelius, a Gentile, which a large portion of the Christians at that time would have said, you got no business being in that guy's house, right? Confusion, right, Peter? There's tons of confusion. Like, I don't want to go there. He's a Gentile. I know that, God, right? Who are you talking to? God knows that. Don't tell me that something that I've made clean is unclean. So verse 38 of chapter 10 these Gentiles, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. 
He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. When it comes to victory over confusion in the day and age we live in, it starts with asking the question, am I adding to the confusion? It's very easy for me to point to other people and go, oh, they're confusing the matter. They're confused. No, they got it wrong, right? When it really starts with, am I promoting order? As in, who's the priority? Jesus. You know, the devil loves when we start with our issues that we don't agree on. Because if we start there, we very rarely get to the authority of Jesus. If we start with the authority of Jesus as is pictured in Scripture, we find our way getting to the issues, and all of a sudden, a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them don't matter anymore. And that's how we cut through opinion. That's how we cut through what is the truth? What did Jesus say about this? What did God say about this? What did the Holy Spirit say about this? And so when we get to the point that when I'm removing the confusion that I'm adding, then God can and does, even in the face of our confusion, victory over fear. Let's go to John chapter 20. Within the context of Luke, we could read 36 through 43 within the context, but I I like a little bit of John's take here because he has this motif, that's a big word for me, right, or theme that he goes back to creation. And we get this theme in John that here's this creation. God is recreating, not really recreating, he's bringing back the order that he started with. Right? You look at John 14 through 17, and there's this mirror image of the let us statements between whoever, right? the Holy Spirit, God, and the Son there in Genesis chapter 1. Let us create this. So you have Jesus in the garden praying to God, and they're having this conversation. God, you are starting this. This is a new creation, right? New heaven, new earth, revelation, language. Let us do this in the face of this, the chaos and the fear. And then we get to John chapter 20, and I think I'll be able to hopefully do this justice. But we go John 1.1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There's the thesis statement, and then John does what? The rest of the gospel. Unpack that. Here I'm going to prove the thesis statement. Everything is going to point back to this. And the identity of the true Messiah. And so everything wraps around that. We get the 14 through 17 discussion. And then we get to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. And so we see the Emmaus walk. And then we flip over and we find this appearance to the disciples. John 20 verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week. First day of the week. First day of the week. Here comes creation. And I'm starting with a bunch of ragtag, the same ragtag. You guys are about to be different. And really, you're going to be the same. I'm starting with you, Adam and Eve. I'm starting with you, list them, (laughs) the disciples. And so we see verse 19, on the evening of the day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for Fear of who? The Jews. Fear. Victory over fear. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, say it with me, peace be with you. Well, peace was with them, all right. 
Here he was. You can't lock me out. Jesus is not concerned really with your obstacles. We, we do things in our life. I'm going to keep this out. This is me. I'm keeping this myself. This fear that I've got, right? The very thing I don't want Jesus coming after, guess what he does? That's target number one. I'm coming for your fear. I'm coming for your anxiety. I'm coming for your confusion. And I need you to trust that I bring peace to you. John chapter 20 and verse 20. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. You see, what his identity is and your reaction in response to that tells you where you are. Right? Where are you, <laughs> Adam and Eve? Where are you, Travis? Where are you, Whitney? Phil, fill in the blank. Where are you? What's your response to the identity of Jesus? Their response was what? Rejoice and be glad. They were rejoicing to see him. Chapter 20, verse 21. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. You, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Let us make man in our image. Who's sending you? You're not going on your own. Right, Peter? Hey, there are going to be things you do that you don't know what's going to happen. Acts chapter 10, go to Cornelius. But Lord, <laughs> go to Cornelius. In the Spirit, these people need baptism, and you're going to do it even with all your confusion and fear and questions. Do not fear the Jews. Do not fear that which can kill the body but the soul. John chapter 20 and verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. Breathe into his nostrils the breath of life. Who defines your life? Who gives you that life? That's the first, not right? That's why Genesis 1 is Genesis 1. The Creator. Do I buy into this intelligent design that a Creator spoke things into existence or I don't? That's the first question you got to answer. Do I buy into this? And whose identity is it? John 20, 23. If you forgive sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Genesis 128, and God blessed and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and have dominion over it. God gives authority to the last 12 people <laughs> that most of us would pick. But there's this trusting that, hey, yes, you're going to not get it right all the time. But if I'm in your presence and I've chosen to live among you, then who is going to keep you from the love of God? Who can condemn you? Why does he do this? John chapter 20, the same chapter, verses 30 through 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. What is John doing here? Clearing things up. In case you didn't get it the first time, 
And John's going, because I didn't. There are things that Jesus said that I didn't get for a long time, right? Amen? Oh, yeah. It, more and more every day. Like, I read it, I'm like, whoa, I did not get that the first time. Or the third, or the 25th, or the 100th, or the 1,000th. What's the point of the whole thing? That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have what? Life in His name. The victory appearances of Jesus, John says, here they are. You have to decide. Why? So that you will decide. We all make a decision every single day of what we really, I mean your core beliefs. There are things we say, there are things that Peter said <laughs> that at times were not his core beliefs. And Jesus, and that's one of the uncomfortable things, is that Jesus is going to keep chasing it. Keep chasing it. The Holy Spirit is going to keep chasing it. The Scripture is going to keep chasing it. And those things that are unholy core beliefs. We say things with our mouth. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He even turns to the disciples and says, Who do people say that I am? And they got this list of names. And then he pushes the envelope. He could have just stopped right there, right? Like, Jesus, just stop right there. Right? We like talking about what everybody else says. But Jesus doesn't do that. Who do you say that I am? And that's not just a, what do you say with your mouth? What songs do you sing? What do you do on Sunday morning? What do you do on Wednesday night? It's a every breath you take that is God-given. If you believe it's God-given, then what are your actions say? What do your actions say? So today, as we have... Broken the bread just as they did. Are we proclaiming him to the people that as we go, we come in contact with? There's a lot of going. I do a lot of going. But what people see in me is a direct connection to my core beliefs. What do they really know is important to Travis Creasy? And God will war against those idols because he loves us too much not to. So this morning, wherever you're at, I believe you have a choice to make. To recommit, right? Recommit. Maybe you're living this week was the best spiritual week you've ever had. There's still a recommitment that we do when we get up in the morning and we choose to live for Him. Or maybe it was the worst week and you need that recommitment. I, I encourage you to do that because we've all been there that have lived long enough following the Lord. If you've not put Him on in baptism, God still loves you. He loves you and wants you to make that decision, that commitment, and proclaim to all the world sitting in that water that God really through faith gives the power, right? That, that probably seems so silly, and, and, and the Bible really owns up to that, right? Paul says the, 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 the wisdom of God is foolishness to man. And when I put on Christ in baptism at 12 years old, I didn't have a clue except I didn't want to go to hell. And I knew the only way to not go there by what I had studied was that. I learned, I know so much more than I did then. But the faith of a mustard seed. It's a little bitty seed if you've not seen one. So this morning, wherever you're at, my encouragement to you, my encouragement to myself as I stomp all over my own toes is to recommit myself today. And, and I pray that you do that. There's a way we can assist you in that. We're not an obstacle that you have to get over. There's nothing that you have to do to appease me. Uh, it's the things that God has asked of you, and there's nobody that can stand in the way of that other than yourself. 
So let's just get over ourselves. Let's commit to that at least, right? And we want to encourage you right now as we stand and sing.